Welcome to Supervox, your on-air gravity point. This podcast is an extension of the on-stage talk series Sprillovox, a series founded in Stockholm in January 2020. The talk series has carved out a place as a gravity point in between academia, institutions and galleries, and we are continuing this journey with a podcast interviewing the most interesting names in art and personalities crossing its path. I am a Stockholm-based editor, and I've always wanted to surround myself with art, music and vivid personalities. My name is Astrid Birnbaum, and I am your host. In this episode, I met up with my LA-based friend Alex Israel during his stay in Stockholm. Hi! First of all, Alex Israel, welcome to Stockholm. I'm very happy to have you here. You are here for your second solo exhibition at Gallery Costial. Could we start with you giving me a small insight to the show? Tell us a bit about the works. Thank you for having me. It's really nice to be here. I'm happy to be here with you now talking about the exhibition. Um, the show is probably the closest I've come to doing a body of works on paper. Um, but it, but it's a term I have to use loosely because there are actually works in Sintra, which isn't paper. And works on paper generally have this... Um, people are used to getting something specific from them, which is a kind of intimacy of the artist's touch or the artist's hand or a kind of um, a study for a different work or a, a future work. And these works are, are neither of those. They don't have any evidence of my hand and they aren't studies for future works. And they aren't in paper, so I don't really know what they are, but they're cutouts. And that's sort of what I'm calling them. And it's a term that goes to straight to Matisse, to back to Matisse. And I think um, there's a, a connection there because one of the graphics that I'm using in the show is a variation of my self-portrait, but it says solo. And it's a graphic I designed to announce a show I had in 2019 called Solo. Did you, do you know about that show? I know about that show. So I did a holographic self-portrait where I'm playing saxophone and I'm playing a jazz solo and and so of course that connected me right back to Matisse and to his jazz portfolio which was based on his cutouts so there we go it's a kind of roundabout way to get to get to where this all came from so the Gallery Costial has moved into something that looks almost like a big museum called Hospitalet here in Stockholm mm -hmm. is this show much bigger than the earlier show at the Costial Gallery? It's actually a lot smaller. Mm. Um, the first show was in a space called East Breiteren, and it was a giant loft. Yeah. It was huge. It was really, really massive. Um, this is a much more manageable, intimate space. And it's different. It's kind of a raw space. Like, it hasn't been renovated yet. So it's a bit rough. And it sort of creates this nice contrast against this body of work because... The works on these cutouts, I'm not going to call them works on paper again, they're cutouts, they're all framed and they're all behind glass and they're all very clean. And they sort of pop off of the kind of rawness of the space, which I think is good. I have the feeling that your art is very LA, 
I know you grew up there and that you still live there. Mm-hmm. Is the city inspiring you? Absolutely. I think it's probably my biggest, if not one of my biggest inspirations. I love Los Angeles. I think it's an incredible place. And I think it really has defined who I am as an artist and what my work is about for sure. If you can compare the New York art world with the L.A. art world, what would you say is typical for the L.A. art world? Um, Well, the New York art world is very market-driven, market-centric. New York is still the center of the art world from a financial market perspective. Los Angeles, I think, is much more artist-centric in terms of its art world. It's all about art schools, which are there, which are breeding artists and putting them out into the world and artists who live there, who make their art there. Um, More and more, we're having um, increased interest from galleries around the world who are opening outposts in the city. Um, It's it's certainly becoming more of a um, market-driven scene, but it's still very, first and foremost, artist-centric. I know you worked for the uh, LA legend John Baldessari that I once met in his studio. Has he influenced you? A lot, yeah. I think that, of course, his work has influenced my work, his interest in language and his interest in um, in authorship and, and kind of all of the the things that we study as being primary to conceptual art, which have influenced my generation, my work, certainly immensely. But there's also something that really influenced me about John and that I gained from my experience working for him, which was that prior to that, I didn't really have a sense of what an artist did and what it could even mean to be an artist. I mean, my parents weren't artists and we didn't grow up with artists around, you know. So um, I had a great art teacher in high school and um, but she wasn't like a practicing artist who was showing her work and exhibiting and 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 surviving off of her her work. She was making a living as a teacher, and I didn't know anyone in the art world. So I so I ended up working for John when I was seventeen, and I thought, oh my gosh, well here's someone who has like a job and and, and turned art making into a kind of life and a practice that that sort of made sense to me. Like he had a studio, he went every day. There was an assistant who helped him. Um, it was a kind of small operation. He worked with fabricators. He had galleries come to visit him. I mean, I just, I didn't know any of this. I didn't know how it worked. I didn't understand how his work would be distributed, how work, artwork could be distributed in the world until I started working for John. And um, he sort of gave me the f- confidence and faith that maybe I could be an artist. I, I sort of could figure out what that meant from on a day-to-day level, a very basic level. And you need that. You need those models to understand like what you're getting into. While we're speaking about Los Angeles and people there, it's funny for me to have this interview with you after seeing you interviewing people like... I love interviewing people. <laughs> like Marilyn Manson, like Steve Martin, my favorite Paris Hilton in your series As It Lays. Thank you for tuning in to As It Lays. Today's subject is Anthony Kiedis. Anthony, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. As it lays. Interesting choice. We'll just get started with the questions. Good idea. Can you tell me a bit about that project? How did you come up with it? 
So As It Lays was really a way of making portraits. I wanted to make portraits of people in Los Angeles, and I wanted to make a lot of them so that I could somehow create a kind of group portrait of the city itself. And, um, and at the time, I had this idea of portraiture, and I didn't really know how to execute it or what form that would take. I started watching Oprah, the Oprah Winfrey show. It was the last year of her show before she ended it. And, um, and everyone was talking about Oprah and her final season. And I just like, I love pop culture. I love kind of talking about pop culture. And I, and I had never watched it. And I thought, oh my gosh, I have to start watching this show so that I can understand what's going on and be a part of the conversation. And I'm watching this show and I just kept thinking to myself, episode after episode, my gosh, she does such an incredible job at getting these people to reveal things about themselves. And and ultimately, maybe she's like the great portraitist of our time. Now, of course, the talk show was also about people coming on the show to promote their new movie or their new book or their new album or whatever it was that they were promoting. And that's fine. But what was really interesting to me were the kind of moments in between all the PR the moments where someone would say something or reveal something that was really intimate. And so I thought, well, how could I kind of create an atmosphere or a place where I could just focus on those moments and and really use the talk show platform to, to make portraits? And so I sort of developed As It Lays out of that impetus. And, and the idea in As It Lays is that I don't ask follow-up questions and I don't ask anything that has to do with promotion of of a project. Um, I only ask questions that anybody could answer, and I let people answer as little or as much as they like. Um, and what that does, essentially, is it disrupts the rhythm of the talk show. And and that means people can't use the, the answers that they, they've already, you know, thought about or developed in previous interviews. They have to come up with real things to say on the spot, and they and they're not sure how much or how little they, they're supposed to share. And, and that creates a, a new kind of rhythm and a space for something maybe to happen that's more like, like what I'm going for, which is this, this, this moment where I can capture someone's likeness, this idea of portraiture. Who was your favorite? Everybody asks me that. I don't have a favorite. You know, like... Okay, it's, who was the most, were you ever nervous for anyone? I'm always nervous. I'm nervous right now. <laughs> but but I think that, that um, in terms of a favorite, it changes. And sometimes something that someone says becomes more relevant or prescient at a different moment in time. Like I went back and I rewatched so much of it during uh, the lockdown. And there were so many things that people said that became like really interesting in that moment, in that in the context of being locked down, like Chris Jenner talking about how she doesn't touch the doorknob of a bathroom in a public restroom because of germs. And Molly Ringwald talking about how, you know, she uses hand sanitizer, which doesn't understand why more people don't use it. Or or Anthony Kiedis talking about how he loves being home alone with his snacks. I mean, we were all just sitting home alone with our snacks at that moment in time. And that that answer that he gave me was just, it just had a new meaning. And there's there's also, um, 
this question I asked Tom Hanks. I said, if you were president for, a, what, would the, what would you do for the first thing you'd do? And he said he would save the U.S. post office. And this was in a moment in during the lockdown when people were really concerned that the U.S. post office needed saving. So all of these things, their meanings and their and their kind of impact change over time. It's hard to pick a favorite. I mean, that's an, you know, it's, it's always changing and evolving. Is that project over? No, no. No. Season one and season two are over. But there will be a season three. Um, the goal of the project has always been to do 100 episodes. And right now we're at 66. So season three will be the final season, I think. Never know, but that's the goal. So... It can be a little hard to exactly define your art. There are paintings, sculptures, now cutouts, projects like As It Lays, cinematic productions, sunglasses. How would you describe what defines what you do? I mean, everything that I do comes from a place of, of ideas. And then I work towards finding the right forms to express those ideas. It's all connected. It's all one story, and it's all really one work. It just unfolds over time, different chapters. You directed this movie, SPF 18. Mm-hmm. Five years ago this week. Really? Yeah. Okay, congratulations, SPF 18. We're celebrating its five years. Uh, yes, that's what we're doing here. Um, it's described as a teen surf film. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a teen surf romance. Oh, that's even better. Yeah. What's the idea behind that? Wow. Okay. So the idea behind as it, behind SPF 18 was really that I wanted to reach a different audience than what I had encountered in in the art context. I mean, the art audience is amazing. It's but it's very very specific and very limited and small. When I was in high school, I, I mentioned before I had an art teacher that was really important to me, um, and I had this great opportunity, you know to make art and to learn about contemporary art through her. But not a lot of students, not a lot of teenagers have access to people like Miss Hall or access to museums like the ones in Los Angeles that I could go to because um, I grew up there. And I kept thinking, well, how can I do something for teens and reach them on their own channels? And I, and I decided that the best way to do that would be to make a movie that they could get online. And so I did that. I made a movie for them. Uh, it's a teen movie. It's it's really made for an audience that's younger than than what we normally, <laughs> uh, who, than whom we normally enfranchise through the art world. And I wanted teens to feel enfranchised by my art and to know that art can take many forms and and that ultimately they're the ones who get to decide what art will be in the future. So I made this movie. It's a teen surf movie, but it's also got a message in it. And the message is about how creativity can help you find your voice. And all the characters sort of go through that. And then to promote the movie, I went on tour. I took it to high schools across America. And I sat in the auditoriums of these high schools and screened my film and talked to kids about creativity and the importance that it had in my life. And, um, and hopefully reached some people that way. And, and I think it worked. I mean, You know, it was funny because the first year that the film was out, I didn't really get much feedback. It lived on Netflix and iTunes. And there was no way of gauging how many people had watched it. But then the second year that the film was out, 
One of my stars, Noah Centineo, became a teen heartthrob overnight, like a sensation, because he was in other movies on Netflix that became hugely popular and went viral. And the first one that came out was called To All the Boys I've Loved Before. Oh, yeah. And um, when that movie came out, it was truly a viral sensation. And the only other movie on Netflix that he was in was SPF 18. So for every kid that watched To All the Boys I Loved Before, the— the algorithm suggested that they also watch SPF 18. And f- and after a year of sitting on the platform, all of a sudden my film was trending on Netflix. And that was really exciting. And I knew that at that point, kids were finding it and teens were watching it. And it coincided with me getting like a lot of direct messages on Instagram from young people all over the world telling me that the movie inspired them. It was really exciting how that happened. You know, you show something in an art gallery and you're lucky if a few thousand people see it. And in a museum, you know, maybe a few tens of thousands of people see it. But but when you put something on the internet and in a place like Netflix, you know that your audience is going to be so much bigger and that the project can really make more of an impact than, than, than it can in the art context. Talking about audience, uh, you've been working with big fashion brands like Louis Vuitton and mm-hmm. others. How would you describe the difference between working with big brands like that and working in the art world, in the classic art world? Well, it's certainly different when you're collaborating with a, with a company. I mean, they have the things that they're working to accomplish and you have the things that you're working to accomplish. And hopefully um, you know, you, those those ideas align. And, and, and so far, I've had great luck in in achieving that kind of alignment. Um, and that's made those processes really interesting. And they're also really educational. I learned so much doing collaborations with these other companies, with Snapchat, with Louis Vuitton, with Ramoa, um, a couple of new things that I'm working on, which I'm not yet ready to talk about. But but um, I love learning, and it's a way for me to continue my my education. And it's also a way for me to get real insight into how really big brands work. I mean, my work is so much about branding and creating a brand around myself. And yeah, I've learned a lot observing and getting to be a fly on the wall in situations involving Louis Vuitton and Snapchat and kind of these massive global brands. Correct me if I am wrong, but I feel like you've been to Stockholm quite a few times. A few times, yeah. I love it here. Good. What are things that you find interesting here in Sweden? You guys are so amazing with sugar. You make amazing sweets and desserts. And it's it's sort of my Achilles heel. I don't like to eat sugar, but when I come to Stockholm, I'll, I will cheat. I will have <laughs> sweets. Um, I think that design is really developed here. I mean, the sense of design that, that, that you have in Scandinavia is just so heightened and it's just hyper-sophisticated and interesting for me. Um... Yeah, I think people here are so warm and welcoming. I think it's really kind of a great society and culture. And I love how you look after each other. I mean, and that's, you know, really built into the way government works in this country. I hope that you continue to embrace newness and new people. And um, I think it's really important. Um, And of course, without getting too deep into politics, because I'm not so versed in what's happening here, but I have heard things about a new president that's very xenophobic and appeals to that aspect of, of culture. And, and I hope that um, younger generations are more embracing of our differences and diversity and, and um, 
that, that the future isn't quite so xenophobic here. And um, we can all hope so. We learn so much from, from our differences and that's yeah. how important how we grow as a culture. Do you have any favorite spots for dinner? I went to an amazing restaurant the other night. Uh, my friend Karsten Holler opened oh, a yeah. restaurant called uh, Brutalisten. Brutalisten. <laughs> and it was amazing. It really worked for my diet because oh, there's good. not a lot of sauce and things are very clean and, um, and delicious. It's all about the ingredients. Brutalist cuisine. Yeah. I wasn't really familiar with it before. No. But, um, Karsten's really, you know, so creative and, and, and bringing it to, to Stockholm in a really interesting way. It's a great space. I love Babette. We went twice this week to Babette. Uh, I had an amazing Reuben sandwich at Schmaltz. Mm-hmm. I love going to the food hall. I went to Lisa Elmquist. Yeah. It was so delicious. Daniel Birnbaum told me about the um, the opera bar. Yeah. And I went there and had meatballs. It was great. Oh, great. Swedish food is amazing. Do you like uh, music produced here in Sweden? Love. I grew up, you know, in the in high school in the night in the late nineties and um, college in the early two thousands, and it was really the Max Martin era. And that music is so important to me in terms of providing touchstones for all these major experiences and events in my life. And of course, you're young and you think it's you know. It's the star, but it's also so much so the producer behind the star. And and learning about how music is made was really interesting to me and, and has so much of what we love and enjoy across the world and the pop music world comes through Sweden is really interesting. I also have a, a number of Swedish musicians and stars who I love, like Leaky Lee, Robin, Roxette. Uh, a little bit vintage there. Um, Ace of Base, also a little bit vintage. Um, and yeah, Swedish House Mafia, Avicii. There's so many great Swedish musicians. Of course, haven't mentioned Numero Uno, which is ABBA. I went to the mm-hmm. ABBA Museum oh, you did. on Sunday. Yeah, I, I landed and I went first thing to the ABBA Museum. Really? Well, it was open on Sunday at 10 a.m. And it's right by where I'm staying. So I walked over and... I loved it. It was amazing to hear their, to learn about their story. Yeah. Alex Israel, my last question for today. What do you want the world to know about Alex Israel? Oh, nothing. Just that I'm a nice person. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thank you, Alex. Bye. Bye. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast and our newsletter at artvox.club. Follow us on Insta at artvox to get timely hints of what we're up to. Thank you for tuning in.